On the Riabu podcast today, we head to Australia, a country which, like most countries around the world, has an economy dominated by small and medium enterprises. More than 7 million people work for SMEs. SMEs make up around uh, 60% of the economy. And so once again, like we see all around the world, make up a very important part of life down under. But like everywhere else in the world, Australia's economy has also been hit by the pandemic. Disruption of supply chains, disruption of payments from large customers, all of the things that we see elsewhere are happening just as much in Australia as everywhere else, which is why we've invited the Small Business Association of Australia to join us on the Reable podcast today. And the founder and CEO, Anne Nolder, joins us from Gold Coast in Queensland. Hi, Anne. Great to talk to you. How are you, Mark? Wonderful to be here. Thank you. Great to have you with us. And congratulations on an association which is uh, sticking up for 60,000 small businesses in Australia. You founded the association 12 years ago. Walk us through a little bit about how the businesses are picking themselves up in 2022, especially when it comes to generating cash and getting their invoices paid on time. Okay, look, a couple of things. As you know, the whole world, including Australia, we've been through a tough time over the last couple of years due to the pandemic. But prior to that, in Australia, we've had even other things that have created additional problems. We've had a prolonged drought. We've had very severe bushfires that decimated towns, not just in one or two locations, but right across various parts of Australia. And on top of that, we had floods. Then we had the pandemic that included some pretty tough measures. We, we were locked down international, like from the international market and domestically within the states. But also recently, we suffered severe flooding down certain parts of the eastern coast of Australia. A town called Lismore has been practically demolished. We're talking about the whole town going under, and it went under twice in one month because we've had abnormal rains. And the rain has been not measured in centimetres, but it's basically in metres. That's how much water has been around. So small business, which has always done the heavy lifting, even during the pandemic, it suffered a triple, you know, whammy regarding this. And it's tough. For some, they won't recover. They will go under. But for some, they will also recover and move on. So it's a very, very mixed bag at the moment here in Australia. Yeah, Australia always uh, seems to have so much more to contend with than uh, small and medium enterprises in other parts of the world. Yes, it does. Yeah. Has this, in fact, brought people together? I mean, are you finding, for example, that your members are reporting, you know, some of the solidarity that you might have hoped for in, in times of adversity? Well, I'll answer it this way, yes and no. When it came to people, individuals supporting people, there was a lot of that. But there was also what happened due to the mandates that various state governments introduced, that created friction and division. And that is something that's really bad. And I don't know whether that's we're going to get over that. And what I mean by that is that if you, for example, weren't vaccinated, like a, a business owner, you weren't allowed to run your business. I mean, there were some business owners that could run their business depending on what they were doing. But if you are in retail or the restaurant trade, you were not allowed to run your business. You were locked out of your own business. And there was some heavy-handed stuff that went on there as well. 
And we still have issues in that area that has actually created other additional problems that we suffer today. So has it brought unity? I would have to say no. I suppose in this environment, of course, it's particularly difficult to run a small business. You're, you're kind of dependent on your customers feeling good about themselves, feeling good enough to spend money. Did you see an impact or did your members see an impact on business conditions brought about by this lack of confidence? Oh, yes, because as I said, they brought in rules, for example, a lot of the rules favoured big business only because they've got the area, if I could point out, like, for example, now the restaurant trade suffered, it was one of the worst affected businesses because you might have, say, smaller restaurants and they had to operate by so many tables of people per square metre, for example, so it didn't take into consideration, for example, I mean, the break-even of a business. So they were trying to serve people and it might have allowed that business, for example, to allow only 20 people into that restaurant. Now, that 20 people may not, as I mentioned, be even a break-even figure. So there were all these things financially that was crucifying, yet some businesses, if they operated the services sector, that's a different ball game as well because they could operate from home or wherever. So it didn't matter whether they were vaccinated or not. But any industry that was basically retail, there were very strict mandates put into place. Small business suffered the most because bearing in mind they still had fixed costs, they still had to pay their staff because under the Fair Work Australia rules, you can't just sack a person on the spot because things have gone wrong. There are rules to apply. They're very severe penalties if you break those rules. So all of these things have impacted on small business owners, plus they had additional costs to introduce shields and signages and all things like that that they had to comply with. So that created heaps of problems. And there were some heavy-handed tactics. We had some of our members were actually, they were freedom of choice. They weren't anti-vaxxers. They just didn't want to get vaccinated with an experimental vaccination, according to them. And we, of course, supported both sides because, you know, the vaxxed and the unvaxxed business owner, we believe they had rights. I know one of our members who's a really, really great person. He has five restaurants on the Gold Coast and he publicly stated that he was freedom of choice and he will welcome whoever came into his restaurant. He's been in business for over 30 years. He's worked very hard with his wife and so financially he's a success. Then he started getting a visit by the police because it became to go against the mandates was a criminal offence, you see. He was put through the third degree by the police and all of his restaurants were checked out and eventually he was told that he cannot go and run his restaurants. He could come in after hours at a, and do a couple of things and that was basically it, but he was not allowed to run his restaurants as he normally did. Now, he was fortunate because he had other staff that could manage the business for him. But now, bearing in mind, not many could. So he was one of the fortunate ones. And yet he has lost millions of dollars because what happened is his business went overnight because of the mandates being worth something to worth nothing because instead of, you know, turning over so many dollars per week, he was then, because of the mandate, started turning over zero dollars. That applied to all restaurants, mind you, in Queensland and throughout Australia, because most of the other states did the same thing. And he was at the stage of where he was preparing to retire. He'd worked all his life. Now, he has been set back about five years, 
and he has lost millions of dollars. Now, on the positive side, the Commonwealth Government did start bringing in JobKeeper Mark 1 and Mark 2, and that started helping businesses. It didn't provide money directly to the business owner, but it helped pay to keep staff on. There's a huge impost on businesses. Like a salary or wage support scheme. And of course, you know, when, you, when you're looking uh, beyond retail and the, the point of sale type of businesses, you're looking at many small and medium enterprises that issue invoices. Now, again, you might have hoped that the very large companies that can afford to pay their invoices on time, that they would have come to the party and done so and said, hey, we value our suppliers. We'd much prefer for you to stay in business. We're going to speed up the payment of invoices. Did that happen? No. As a matter of fact, now there's a, there's a bit of a story here, if I can tell you. This has been an issue in Australia for a number of years. It's not just the pandemic, it's pre-pandemic, where there is late payment, particularly by the larger corporations. They are actually the worst offenders. And I know, for example, some of them will take up to 140 days to pay a supplier, a small business, 140 days, which is dreadful. Because you've got to remember that the small business owner has done the work, they've got to pay their staff, they've got their fixed costs, they are holding that particular can. And it's all very well to say, well, if they don't pay you on time, go to somebody else. It doesn't work like that because small businesses need all the business they can get and there's not too many that they can go to. Maybe they've got a good contract as far as a good value but will they get that same with somebody else? We don't know. And that's where the risk is, you know. But just to let you know, in Australia, so like small businesses issue around $216 billion worth of invoices annually. And as I said, even the Commonwealth Government has found that larger corporations are the worst offenders. And what they did, the Commonwealth Government brought in, that includes 100 of its agencies to make a valuable contribution, you know, to earlier payments, as from the 1st of October last year, they've got a thing called the Payment Times Procurement Policy. Now, this applies to businesses. This is the procurement side of, of businesses who have contracts over $4 million to pay their subcontractors of up to $1 million within 20 calendar days. Now, failure to pay will occur interest payments. Prior to that, their various states... And Commonwealth governments were very, very slow to pay their suppliers, really slow. We're talking about months and months and months. But I have to say, in fairness to the Commonwealth government, they are doing much, much better these days. And that applies to some of the states as well. So they identify the problem. Regarding big business, there is an organisation in Australia that represents the bigger end of town. These are the 100 biggest corporations in Australia and they brought in a voluntary code of conduct of earlier payment times, which hasn't made much of a difference. It's made a little bit of a difference, but not as much. Because when it's voluntary, I mean, big businesses will say, well, if you don't like it, go elsewhere. That's where the problem is. And it makes it harder for the smaller operator to bargain because they really have got very little bargaining. Because if they don't come to the party with big business, big business will go elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So that's where, the, that's where the difficulty lies. Yeah, they've got the choice, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, they've got so many uh, suppliers that they can choose from, whereas the SMEs looking for large contracts, there are by definition just a handful. 
isn't it good that the government at least is stepping up? Because frankly, the government has least excuse, doesn't it? I mean, they, they have tax dollars coming in all the time. It's not like they're waiting for their own customers to pay. The state, by definition, is often the largest operator in, in any economy. Good thing that the government saw the light. Did you have a hand in that by any chance, Anne? Were you lobbying for this too? We were actually interviewed in that process. So we do think that we had a small contribution And also the government has been working on a policy to to make organisations that turn over 100 million or more per annum, there'll be penalties if they don't pay on time. But when I was interviewed regarding that by the organisation that was doing the uh, research for the government, I said, why does it have to be 100 million? What about the companies that turn over 50 million or even less? What is their excuse? So to me, I find that a bit of a weakness. They couldn't give me any reason. They said, that's just what, what's in there. We will have to lobby harder as far as trying to assist because what happens when the cash flow and part of your invoices is part of the cash flow, when that dries up, it creates all sorts of problems because it's like a domino effect the small business owner can't pay their suppliers. It affects maybe their, their ability to pay their staff and, as I said, all their fixed costs as well. It can also bankrupt a small business. The Australian Tax Office records the cash flows being this, or lack of finance, let's call it that, as being the number one enemy of small business and that is the one that will bankrupt your business so quickly it's not funny. So we have to do something more and it is wrong. It's not only a bad thing, but it's absolutely wrong to delay payments. But I have personally dealt with very large corporations and their systems are so tied up with the red tape and all the stuff you've got to go through, it's no wonder it takes you forever to get paid. They they have to streamline and they've got to really make it more flexible and more agile. Well, I mean, if you're talking about government, then of course, you know, often governments are, are well known uh, for the bureaucracy in, in Australia. I know you, you gripe about it, but elsewhere in, in the world, government bureaucracy is just the worst. When it comes to large companies, you can't help but feel that there is method to that. Yeah, look, I, I, I don't know, as I said, what their excuse is, but it is a problem. It has to be a problem that's identified because it's costing the Australian economy not millions of dollars per year. It's costing the economy billions of dollars and it's got the ability to actually destroy a small business. Now, you've mentioned the payment commitment, the voluntary code that the 100 largest companies implemented. Why do you think that's not working? I mean, because if they signed up for it, my companies in the UK sign up for the prompt payment code there. Is it a case of virtue signaling? Are they just signing up so that they can say, hey, we're doing something about it without actually taking action? Well, I don't know actually what the reason is other than I think it's a business organisation itself that has signed up this voluntary code, which I would presume it was done with the commitment and consent of its members. And their members are the largest 100 corporations in Australia. Now, it's not to say that none of them are doing the right thing, but there are some that are not doing the right thing. I think that's important. Yeah. Well, in addition, Australia has, for the last four months, had the so-called Payment Times Reporting Scheme, which seems to be, in fact, you can visit it yourself, go to paymenttimes.gov.au, and you'll see that you'll be able to download a spreadsheet currently with 
355 names in it. Companies which have also been committed, also and with that $100 million annual revenue threshold, committed to say how long they take to pay their suppliers, especially the SMEs. Have you found that the Payment Times reporting scheme has made a difference in any way? I think it has. Look, anything at all that will reduce the payment times, like small businesses are not unreasonable, but I think to drag out something for months and months and months, I think that is scandalous. And so anything at all to help create a shorter payment time, I think, is necessary. I mean, even if it's up to, say, 30 days, I I don't think many people balk at that because we understand that businesses, even small businesses, do not necessarily pay out straight away on the dot. They have times when they have their accounting people come in, they do the books, and it might be, for example, like once um, or twice a month or something like that. So we don't expect big businesses to pay out within days, but I think you've got to look at a reasonable time frame, which can be, say, 20 to 30 days, and I think that should help a great deal. But anything beyond that, you've got to have a really good reason why you can't pay that small business operator. Because, you see, a small business doesn't have access to finance as readily available as a large business. Large businesses can absorb a lot of shocks to the system They can absorb red tape more so. They can absorb a whole lot of things. But a small business owner, they can't just go to the bank and get a loan at the drop of a hat, depending on the size, et cetera. And you will find that in most cases, they have to use their home as security. And that in itself is a dangerous thing because if they're not getting paid promptly or reasonably promptly, into their business, that can also affect their private finances as well. So they run the risk of defaulting and they run the risk of also running foul of the bank. The bank's going to look at them and, of course, it'll be the small business owner's fault and not by the people dragging their feet who are simply not paying them in a reasonable time frame. Yes, most people start businesses with their life savings and or, or at least their own personal cash and, as a result, their personal and business Finances are forever intertwined in a certain way. But coming back to the large companies, and you've been doing this for 12 years, what have the large companies said? Have you gotten an inkling? Maybe maybe you've had a little quiet coffee with them and said, hey, why do you guys pay so late? What, what have they told you? We haven't actually had that conversation as to their lengthy delays, and I would be very surprised if they told me, <laughs> I'm being upfront with you, <laughs> why they would do that. That would be the, the best kept secret then in town. We deal with large corporations and I'm talking about multinational corporations, but we have had, I think it was only in one case that we had one supplier that took forever to pay And I sort of pre-warned that they said, oh, look, our company takes forever to pay. (laughs) And I didn't realise it would would be that bad. But we have been very, very lucky. But I'm very, very strict when it comes to payment. And I mean strict. I do not hesitate to ask them what their terms and their time payment will be. I don't hesitate to ask that. And if it's not in there reasonably on time, I check with them. Now, That might seem very harsh, but it allows me to keep a tab and control of what's going on. A lot of small businesses that I do know, and I have spoken to them about this, is especially the smaller small businesses, like the micros and so forth, 
they feel very hesitant and reluctant to be as as much forthright with the people that will pay the, the accounts because they're worried they might lose the account. And I keep telling them, and they're almost afraid to ask. And I said, you should never be afraid because I said, you are providing a service or they're selling goods, whatever it is that they're doing. And I said, you have a right to ask when you will be paid for. Of course, there are ways and means of doing this and you can still keep relationships at a very, very good level. And I think particularly now with the way supply chains and a lot of businesses are floating on very, very thin ice at the moment because of the financial situation, I think you have to be stricter still because it's no good doing business with somebody, and I tell them this, if you're not going to get paid. Yes. In fact, they're not a customer at all if they don't pay you. Exactly. So there are ways and means, and this is probably an educational thing, and we've done actually provided advice in this area of how to deal with your customers and how to get paid. But unfortunately, that's going to be an ongoing process because people need to have the courage, I think, and the confidence. And a lot of them don't. And they don't know how to ask and they feel awful about it. That's the reality. We're so aligned, and because when you have a, a good conversation with the customer, it doesn't have to be confrontational. No. In fact, you can make it part of the customer service to say that we'll absolutely make sure that you get the product or service that we're selling to you in pristine condition, meeting the specifications you want. And, of course, quid pro quo, we'll expect to be paid within our terms. Exactly. Let's zoom in on, in on that a little bit more because, you know, a lot of these small and medium enterprises do have, you know, a long track record. You, before you started the SBWA, you were in the events business for many years. And, you know, when, when you've built up a little bit of confidence, I mean, have you had this scenario where customers have said, and because you asked about payment terms, we're no longer going to do business with you? No, no, never, ever, never, ever. Because I have personally prided myself even before I started the SBAA, that I've always provided 110% of whatever it is. I've always prided in great customer service, doing the job properly, building a reputation on that. And people knew that if ever, like when, I, when we go back to the events side of things, when I used to do events, I had a reputation that if anybody came to one of the events that I did, they were quality events. And it didn't matter whether it was a little one or a big one. So you build your brand around that. And I think it is how you deal with that client. But you need confidence to do that. That's where the problem lies. Because if you haven't got it, you will you will mess it up. And I think this is what worries a lot of small operators. They haven't quite got the confidence how to ensure. What, what you do is at the time of, and I've also told people as well, and another flaw that I have found is, Sometimes, depending on the type of work and what it is, because people will get back to me, they'll say, oh, look, I haven't been paid, I can't be paid, depending on what it is. And I'll say, did you ever make a contract? As I said, it depends on the business and what you're supposed to do. And they'll say, no. And they'll say, no, they haven't got anything. And that's where it makes it difficult. So I, I've always said you need to have something in writing that's very clear, very precise. You deal with it because... You're not asking anybody for favours. You're not doing anybody favours. It's a commercial arrangement. You're providing a quality service or you're selling quality goods or produce. You're going to supply somebody X, Y, Z, and they are going to pay you for it. You need to adopt that attitude and professionalism, and I think you'll find it does solve a few problems. It won't solve everything, but it will solve a lot. 
you must have something in writing as to the terms and conditions, especially if you're offering them credit as well, because sometimes people get give credit and they don't they don't even abide by their own rules. So it's an art form, actually. And again, uh, total alignment here and uh, the way you talk to your customers is, is critical and that includes raising issues like payment terms. But let's uh, just wrap up with two final topics and one of them is more on that education for SMEs. The fact that uh, the SMEs don't have contracts is really only part of the problem. They then make mistakes in their invoice or don't even send the invoice or don't send it in a way that the customer expects. Maybe you've emailed it when actually they need the hard copy or vice versa. So when we then talk about the payment times reporting scheme and other sort of naming and shaming sort of initiatives, how much would you say, actually, it's our own members' fault on occasion when they don't get paid on time? They they didn't have a contract. They didn't write the invoice properly. They didn't send the invoice in the way that the customer expected. Oh, look, I agree. It's not always the fault of the person at the other end who's supposed to pay the account. When you're dealing with larger corporations, they do have a process where you normally might have to have a vendor's form completed. So they put the person in the system. You need to make sure they normally might require you to quote a purchase order from them. So if you don't put that on your invoice, that will hold it up. That will go into the too hard basket. So there are things that you need to be very, very aware of. Now, mind you, I have found, because we deal with this all the time, even in our own situation, I have found that when dealing with large corporations, even the people that you're talking to, which is not necessarily their accounts people, but the people you're doing the final contract with, they don't always know their own rules as well. So it's a bit of a a thing where you have to be aware of how corporations operate. Now, for small business owners, this can be quite daunting. If they've had no experience, it's even more daunting. So you need to be aware that your invoices have to be properly completed, most likely a purchase order number, your vendor form. And setting up a vendor form, for example, can take quite a process because it goes through their accounting system. And you need to have a good relationship with the person who you've initially done that contract with because that is the person that you should communicate with to say, look, sorry, but I haven't received my payment as yet. Can you check out what's going on or where, or when may I expect or something like that? That's where you need to liaise with them. So there is a bit of a process of how you need to do things correctly. Absolutely. Just finally then, when we look at big business again and also the businesses that are doing the financing, you can't help but feel, for example, looking, you remember pre-COVID, there was this uh, case where some of the largest companies in Australia in telecommunications and mining were operating their own financing schemes, or at least that was the plan, where if you supplied to one of these mining or telecommunications companies, you could get financing from the customer, which in essence meant that you had to give up some of the margin on, on the product or service you were selling. There are so many schemes out there, this reverse financing or factoring schemes or, you know, an unsecured loan at extortionate interest rates. I mean, there there seems to be such a large industry forming around lending money to SMEs that actually it's not in their commercial interest for SMEs to get paid faster. Well, that's right. But I tell you, a lot of these schemes are not anywhere near, unfortunately, as good as they may sound, because even invoice factoring, for example, those that do provide that service, they will only provide it if the invoices are worth 
over a certain amount per month and they require so many according to them to be viable so if you're a small small operator that's got a a little invoice and I talk, when I say little I'm only I'm talking like you know about 10,000 which would be very small to them they won't even look at something like that so finance is it still remains in Australia despite all the things that you've mentioned it still remains a problem there has been some suggestions and talks about introducing or looking at introducing a hex style scheme for financing for small business and that's to do we have a hex style scheme at the moment in Australia to do with higher education like um, universities etc you know for students going through uni yes higher education contribution scheme hex yeah yeah so there is some talk about looking at that which I think has some merit but we have to investigate that further but generally speaking, a lot of these schemes will squeeze the small business owner, bearing in mind that the, depending on which business you're in, a lot of the margins are very, very tight and they're very, very hard. But like an industry we were talking about before the pandemic. Now, in Queensland, if I can just go back to this, and this is relevant to, to the conversation we're having now, in Queensland, 45% of travel agents who are very small operators we're talking about, they have gone completely out of business and they will never return to business at all ever because of the tourism industry was killed off very, very severely. You know, that's the international market, etc. Now, in the travel industry, the margins are very, very low, extremely low. So you can imagine that if you add further pressure onto that, if you've got to borrow, it becomes an unviable situation. So they're the sorts of things we've got to look at. There are, as, as you rightly point out many many schemes but they're not necessarily beneficial to small business and and if you get into debt heavy debt and the interest rates are higher etc that's not going to do you much good either indeed so to conclude then it looks like the problems that were with us before COVID are still well and truly with us amplified possibly by all of the issues that you've had especially in australia with droughts and rains amplifying the COVID lockdown and we wish you and your members all the very best. May your invoices be paid promptly. <laughs> and looking forward to continuing the fight to get paid on time. Thank you so much. Pleasure talking to you, Mark. My pleasure entirely. And Nolda, the founder and CEO of the Small Business Association of Australia.